Listen up, real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and agents. You're in the right place. Unlocking the secrets to real estate investing and entrepreneurship. Welcome to the Titanium Vault, hosted by RJ Bates III. Here's RJ. Hello and welcome to the Titanium Vault. I'm your host, RJ Bates. Today I'm sitting down with Chris Noggle. Chris, how you doing? I'm doing great. Yourself? I'm doing fantastic, man. So uh, why don't you take a second to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do in real estate investing. Sure. So I'm here from uh, Buffalo, New York, and uh, we uh, run a real estate flipping company where we uh, flip an awful lot of houses. We've done over 200 houses in the last four years. Uh, we started. I started in the business in 2006 doing my first house and flipping it just like everybody else, making every mistake in the book. But we got real serious in 2014. And uh, since then, we've done over 200 houses. That's uh, turned into, we have an education platform called Flip Out Academy, where we teach people how to find, fund, and flip. And that company has just exploded and we're growing leaps and bounds. It's one of the only trade school, trade school type education platforms out there for real estate investors. And uh, most recently, over the last three years, we've been uh, on this journey to get a TV show on HGTV. And finally, after a three-year journey, we've, uh, we've got it. We just aired June 24th. Risky Builders is the name. We aired on HGTV, and we have our next air date, August 9th at 11 p.m. And uh, this is the make or break it one. We get enough people to watch. We get the ratings. Away we go to uh, hopefully a long, long series on HGTV. Awesome, man. Well, I know we're going to dive into that, and uh, definitely I'm going to impose my will on all my listeners that we tune in on August 9th and uh, watch your show so you can get that series. Let's go back to 2006 when you got your start. You know, did you dive into rehabbing properties or did you wholesale at all or how did you get your start in real estate? Investing? Yeah, no, it was kind of just, I just dove into my first flip, uh, me and my buddy Mike, uh, you know, we always talked about getting a house and renovating it and he was handy and I, I had a couple bucks. So I just said, hey, let's buy this house. And we did what everybody does. We found a dilapidated bank foreclosure. We we picked the thing up, not knowing anything. Demo day, you know, as you as everybody loves, we went in there and instead of just doing the demo, we should have, we decided to rip the whole house down to nothing. And then we had to put Humpty Dumpty back together. And luckily that was, it was a long, difficult process with lots of lots and lots of mistakes. And uh, at the end of it, we decided to rent it out to another friend. So we rented it for a year and then he ended up buying a different house that we did. And at that point we listed it, we sold it, made a few bucks and kind of had that idea. Hey, let's, uh, let's flip some more houses. But you know, the story really kind of goes way before that, that one flip. And uh, that was just kind of the catapult that got me to really think, wow, this real estate thing could be something that I'm interested in. So let, let's go back in the, before then what, what right, kind of so, what kind of led you to that first flip you said there was more to the story there so i want, I want lot, to hear that but i'm going to take you back before real estate was ever even a thing for me because that's the only way i can i can tell you the story of kind of my humble beginning so it goes back to 16 i had a terrible job at a, a italian restaurant that was treated awful and i remember the one day the day i got fired i said to him i said i'm never going to work for anybody again and at that time, I had a, a big dream. I wanted to be a pro snowboarder. But if you know anything about Buffalo, New York, yeah, we get a lot of snow, but it's not exactly the mecca for snowboarders. So back then, there was this one, there was actually two guys uh, out of the Buffalo area, Blair Russon and Shane Charlebois. Charlebois, I can always 
screw his name up. They were the two pros that made it out of Buffalo for Burton, and I, I just wanted that. I wanted that more than anything, and everybody told me I was crazy. There's no way you're ever going to make it out of here as a pro snowboarder. You're going to have to move. you got to go to Utah or California, and I said, I'm going to do it. So I did what everybody else told me I couldn't do. I tried. I worked harder. I trained harder. I traveled every weekend to Vermont to snowboard contest. And, you know, through that whole process, I ended up starting a clothing line out of my mom's basement. And my mom really never had anything. She just had a small little uh, daycare out of the house with it. She raised me, you know, so she could be home. And she never, even though she had no money to help me with anything and never had any resources, she never allowed me to you know lose sight of my dream so she said okay if that's what you want to do let's do it out of the basement and she was a good you know she sewed a little bit so she made the samples and that clothing line called fat clothing company ran and i was traveling around trying to be a pro snowboarder so i'd bring my my little clothing bag and sell and do some wholesale stuff to some shops that we were traveling to in different states and uh, areas where the contests were that sort of picked up by 17 i had four seamstresses working for me we had a team rider a couple team riders actually representing the product on the hill and then i had this great idea i said well if this is going so well why don't we have a store to sell all of our clothes so i was a 17 year old punk snowboard kid saying i want to open a retail store in the mall which only took seventy thousand bucks so at that point we had no money and i set out on this journey to find 70 grand to to open fat man board shops and uh, that took me to a whole lot of no's a lot of people telling me I was crazy and then somebody said you got to write a business plan so I did that and in there they they need collateral well the collateral I had was a baseball card collection and I thought hey this is this is an asset I got this let's put this down well I, I you can pretty much guess where that led me getting kicked out of just about every bank I went to and everybody laughing at me and my father saying hey why don't you come work at the factory with me this this whole you know skateboard snowboard store thing that's just uh you know that might not work out son you got to start thinking you know real and uh i wasn't willing to take no as an answer so my mom who i call her the unconditional one the one person that believes in me unconditionally she said well son if you want to do this i don't have any money to give you but you know i got the house and we have a little bit of equity and i'm willing to put the house up on the line so you can go chase this dream so mom put her house on the line. That was the only thing in the world she had so that I could open this crazy store called Fat Man Board Shop. And the next five years, I went through a lot of hard times, many sleepless nights, many nights crying myself to sleep in the back room, wondering how I was going to make that mortgage payment so we didn't lose the house. Fast forward five years, paid the loan off. Fat Man was a thing. Ran Fat Man successfully for, God, 16 years we ran that store. And in uh, 2010, I ended up deciding... Uh, it was time to call it quits. I was a financial advisor at the time, doing very well with that. And I, uh, I sold my baby after 16 years. And I'm happy to say that Fat Man Board Shops is still thriving, still operating, still doing well. And I ran this, the financial business all the way up through to, uh, actually, I just sold it three weeks ago, sold the financial practice. And kind of in between there, that's where I got the idea to do real estate because in 2008, when I had Fat Man, I had to move. Our lease came due. And there was this store, two doors down, this dilapidated paint store. And I said, well, why don't we buy that, renovate that, and then we'll move Fat Man in there and I can, I can have two other tenants that pay the bills. So, well, we all remember 2008, right? That was right. when the bottom, bottom fell out. So I had borrowed money for some, from some people that I shouldn't have. And everything was going well. And then all of a sudden, everything completely stopped. Money dried up, couldn't finish the project, almost went bankrupt. I was literally two months away from being bankrupt. 
Um, I had my store moved in there, but I needed 80% occupancy for the bank to take out that loan. And uh, I didn't know what to do, but I got a stroke of luck. You know, sometimes uh, the universe provides for you. And at that point in time, I got one more tenant. The bank took the loan. And uh, that's kind of where I started my real estate journey is that one development project in 2008 kind of catapulted me forward in the real estate realm. And from there, 2009 to 2014, I bought dilapidated apartment buildings and uh, renovated them and rented them out. But one thing just wasn't clicking. And, you know, this is I was still doing the financial business, still had the store at this time. But doing real estate to me was always the more you got, the more money you had, the more wealth you had. But every property I bought, I got broker and broker. And in 2014, I was at the brokest level. And what I didn't understand was how money worked. I was just using bank funding. I was borrowing money from banks and paying 20%, paying the renovation money, using rent roll to renovate each unit. And then uh, that's how I did it. And, you know, it just didn't work out so well. So in 14, I sold every apartment building that I had. Wish I didn't because those would be worth a small fortune today. <laughs> and that's uh, that's kind of what kicked me off into the flipping business. I said, I can't really make sense of this. So in 14, I said, well, let's start flipping houses again because we'd already done a couple of them at that point. And uh, then I learned how money worked. We paid for an education, me and my wife, and decided to go into business together and that's kind of just the, the journey of where it went. And I did end up going on to be a pro snowboarder and followed in Blair's, Blair's footsteps, some of the best years of my life. I took that all the way up until, gosh, what was the last year in that? 2009 or 10 was my last year as a pro snowboarder. And then I went on to coaching, but just a dream come true. But it all goes back to just having that one person in your life that believes in you and that one person that even though they have nothing to give you allows you to dream big and make sure that you never ever give up on your dreams and that was mom and uh, she's still my biggest supporter today and now with this dream three years ago of getting a tv show that's like that's like the likeliness of getting struck by lightning from what i'm told and <laughs> i wasn't willing to say no i mean how the whole show started is with this idea that we wanted to do like a flipper flop with jackass and we took uh, some old pro skateboarders from my, my team when I had fat, fat Man Board Shops, and I said, hey, these guys can come in and be the demo crew with us, and when we demo the house, we'll build ramps out of all the demoed material, and we'll film this whole thing, and we'll make this TV show called Flip Out, which is where the, the name for the academy comes from, and that, you know, we, we spent forty grand filming it, producing it, sent it out to all the production houses. We got picked up, and we got shut down. And we got shut down again and again and again. And we almost gave up and we pitched the idea and spun it a different way with a different producer. And HGTV took it, gave us, you know, the first. For those of you that don't understand how getting a TV show works, I know a lot of people think that it's literally like you, you film a little video, you send it off to the network, and the network says, oh my God, we love you guys, great, here's your show. It does not work like that. Maybe some of the shows work that way, like Tark and Christina's Flipper Flop. I think that's kind of really what happened there. But ours really was more getting told no more times than yes and just having to reinvent yourself over and over again. And then even when you think you got it, you don't got it. And we even got all the way through it. We filmed the whole pilot. We got all the way to the point where we were ready to air. And a week before our air date, after we had a giant party set up, everything was out there, social media was out there, the network said, hey, we got to move your air date. Oh. Like, what? Okay, uh, when? And they're like, we don't have a date. And then mm. months went by, and we had no date. And we're like, oh, my God, are we? is it done? What's going on? This is when Discovery was buying HG. And uh, lo and behold, what we found out is 
when they bought HGTV, they made a bunch of changes internally and a whole bunch of shows got nixed that were supposed to pilot and were supposed to air. And we were uh, one of, I believe, seven shows that didn't get nixed, didn't get cut. And well, I mean, like I said, June 24th was our first airing, very strong ratings. And our next airing is August 9th here, just uh, 10, I think it's 10 days away. And this one's the, uh, this one's the game changer, the, the deal maker, if you will. So that's just a little bit about my story. I did it as condensed as I could and <laughs> missed a lot of the, the key things, but uh, right. it's, it's an interesting one. So there's a lot that I want to kind of ask questions on there. You covered a lot of different things. First and foremost, because we're, we're going to touch a lot on the show and on real estate, but let's talk about you being a, a snow pro, uh, pro snowboarder. <laughs> I got <laughs> tongue twisted there because um, I – I think being a professional athlete is like just so amazing. And I know how hard it is. I was an athlete all the way up into college and, and I realized how hard and difficult it really is to become a professional in that. What events were you actually competing in and, and what was that like being a professional snowboarder? Uh, the, the, well, the events are vast. I mean, there was everything from Red Bull events because Red Bull did a lot of, we were Red Bull athletes, but they did a ton of uh, different events that we would do. And they were, they were all like one-off events, uh, Butterfinger, uh, God, I'm forgetting the names of them all, but they're, they were all like themed events. So we did all those. Uh, we also did USSA, which was a series that you did that got you qualified. And eventually USSA, and even today, that's the Olympic training and the Olympic, uh, platform where the athletes kind of get picked up on the U.S. team. So we did that way back in the day, and it was every single week we'd travel. We'd get in the car on a Friday night. We'd drive all night long, make it there by Saturday morning to compete, compete Sunday, hop back in the car, and then drive all the way back to Buffalo, which was about a six-and-a-half-hour trek up to Vermont. So we did those, and that's kind of where, where it really got us kicked off, and we started ranking really high there, and it was half-pipe and slope style. And then from there, I ended up uh, riding in the early 2000s in X Games. And that that was kind of what catapulted everything. I mean, from that moment, I started filming a lot. That's when uh, I got, kind of took a step away from the competitive snowboarding. I went more into the videos, and I was filming with a bunch of production companies and just making video parts. And you had your little crew that you traveled around with all over, and uh, that was a blast. We had so much fun. And then I got back into the competitive side of things with uh, USASA, Started riding in the uh, the open class, which was the pro division there, and started doing really well there. And again, I kind of I got a, had a really well several really bad injuries that kind of took me out of the competitive side. So I, I kind of found my way back into the video side, and it was just the most incredible period of time in my life. I mean, it was it was just all you ever thought about is when you're injured, how fast can I rehab and get back? You had six months in your contract. And if you weren't better in six months, they could cancel, cancel your contract, which means bye-bye sponsors, bye-bye paycheck. And it was funny back then, paychecks were so small, it really wouldn't matter in, in right. you know, real world today. But back then, that's all we did. We didn't have anything else. You didn't need anything because you were on the road nonstop. And I was running the stores at the same time. So it was kind of a lifestyle business. It was uh, it was just a life changing event, life changing thing, and something I just wish everybody could uh, you know feel that, feel what it's like to be on that that level and be a pro athlete. I mean, it's the hardest thing in the world. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you're training nonstop, you're traveling nonstop, you're you're always in a different state, a different city, and you, even when you're hurt and injured, you wrap it up, you take a couple Motrins, and you're just at it. It doesn't matter. You just go, and you don't even think about it. It's just, right. it's just what you do. Well, it sounds like there's a direct correlation there between you being a professional athlete 
and you getting the show on HGTV. Like the amount of dedication that it took for you to actually become a professional snowboarder. And like you said, in a location in Buffalo where you could only name two people that have ever done it before. And like you said, getting a show is kind of like getting struck by lightning. I mean, the odds are so stacked against you. Um, did, did that kind of mindset of being a professional athlete kind of help you in the process of going out and getting the show? Yeah, I think I think the stubbornness does. Uh, you know, being a pro athlete, you don't really think too much about the risks. You sort of just like, you know what you got to do and you rely on instinct to do it. And I, I always tell this little story. And if we got a second, I'll tell it. It's uh, There was this one event that we did. And I don't remember where it was. I think it was in Utah. And I remember being on the lift going up real early in the morning. It was a foggy morning. And I'm on the lift going up. And off to the left was where the event was. It was a big air event. And I looked down through the fog. And I could see all the people lining up, the photographers sitting there. And I remember seeing the jump and being like, oh, my God, that's massive. You know, and that fear comes over you and, you, and the whole rest of the way up the lift, you're just silent. And you're all you're thinking about is all the problems, all the things that can happen, all the things that can go wrong. If I if I overshoot this thing, I could blow both my legs out. If I undershoot this, I mean, the same thing could happen. I could take a knee to the chin, break all my teeth out, whatever. And, you know, that's all you're thinking about. You get up top where all the other athletes are and all of a sudden you start getting in your mindset. And everybody's quiet because everybody's like, all right, uh, you know, you're all thinking the same thing, but nobody wants to admit that they're scared. And then you do a little Rochambeau for the first guy that's going to drop in and, and do what we call a guinea pig on the jump. And for some reason, I always seem to either lose that Rochambeau or I was just a stupid one that said, all right, guys, I'll do it. And uh, <laughs> you kind of go up to it. You sit there. You look at it. And then there's just a moment you just leap. And I, I like to use that as kind of like the catapult for what I do in real estate. That leap is that moment where you make that decision and it's either going to make or it's going to break you. But you don't you don't care. You just you leap. And then there's a moment of silence where you're going up to the jump and then, you know, you go off the lip and everything at that point in time, everything from that moment when you leave that lip is just instinct. It's everything you've trained for, everything you've you've prepared yourself for. It's it's just instinct. And then, you know, you land and you ride away. And at that point in time, when you land and you ride away, no matter what the trick was in your mind, you're invincible. There's nothing you can't do on that jump. There's nothing that's going to stand in your way. You get a big grin. You, you can't get to the top of the hill and hit it again fast enough. But, you know, you don't think about fear anymore. And, and I think that's kind of like when three years ago we set off to get the TV show. Like there's a lot of things that could have went wrong. We were told no numerous times by HD. We were said, you know, this can't happen. And you just find a different angle to go about it. And it's just that fearlessness. And I think real estate and entrepreneurship and being in business, all those things require that level, that little bit of fearlessness. And I think a pro athlete and everything I went through kind of paved the way for that. And, you know, a little bit of craziness, stupidity, whatever you <laughs> want to call it, it all fits into that whole little pot and you just stir it up. There's very few times since I've had the podcast, you're probably going to be episode 51, 52, somewhere around there. Um, very rarely do I actually do video and I'm actually doing video on this one. I wish you guys could have seen the passion in his <laughs> eyes right then when he was just telling that, that was, that was incredible. You got me pumped up over here. Uh, I'm, uh, pumped up. I'm, I'm ready to take the leap with you and I, I yeah, can't even snowboard. I, I'm, I'm a skier, so I can't snowboard, but I'll, I'll take the leap with you. Yeah, let's go do it. Let's find some snow. All right. So, all right, let's talk about real estate a little bit. Enough enough about the fun stuff. Let's get into the, the real business of of what we're here to talk about. So, what you know, you've you've done over 200 houses in the past 4 years. You've got the show. 
Let's talk about your, your business right now, and then we'll dive into what the show is going to be like. What does your business look like, and how are you able to handle the kind of volume that you're able to handle? That's a great question. So obviously doing as much as we do at any given time, we have between 10 and 20 properties going, not including a rental fleet. And it, it takes a monumental team. And, you know, we've we've just found some really good people. We now have a project manager. So I'm in the office almost every day. I'm, I'm acquisitions. I deal with the money. My team here, you know, we do all the bill pay. We track the budgets. We, we just make sure everything's staying on from a number standpoint. My wife, who is you know, and if any of you see the show Risky Builders, you'll fully see this. My wife is just an unbelievably talented designer, but she's also an animal. And she she's the type of person that knows what she needs to get done out in the field. If she's not getting it, that you know, I, I fear her and I fear for the contractors when uh, things <laughs> go wrong. But uh, that's what she does. She's out in the field every single day working with the contractors, the suppliers, working with our project manager. And our project manager every day starts early finishes late and he tours all the properties, meets with everybody. And that's kind of what it takes is, you know, in the beginning, me and my wife butt heads a lot and she would be, you know, wanting to do design. I'd be coming in with design. We'd be both talking to contractors. And it was very confusing. So there came a, almost a breaking where she's like, I'm going to be in the field and you're going to deal with the money side of it because that's what you're good at. And we each picked our lane and we're very good about staying in our lanes. And every once in a while I cross over in her lane and it's like getting hit by a Mack truck. So that's that's kind of what we do. Uh, we've got probably at any given time about 105 to 110 people, including all the subs, you know, just kind of working. That includes project managers, property managers. So it's gotten pretty big. And uh, I'm not going to say it's perfect. I mean, there's mistakes every day. There's, you know, contractors always are, are a big problem or, or a big challenge, not a problem. And keeping them on track, keeping jobs on budget is the hardest darn thing to do because in our business, everything's unforeseen. You buy a house, sometimes sight unseen. You get in there and you think you know what you're doing. You open a wall and then the building inspector says, oh, sorry, you're going to be redoing all this because the guy before you didn't do it the right way. It's We all know this in real estate and those are just the things you deal with. But we just we have a system and we follow that system. We have models that we use for our purchasing. And, you know, that's where all the money is made in real estate is on the, the buy, not the sell. So that's what we focus on is buying right and making sure we uh, we make the house look better than anything else. And I would even say sometimes we're guilty of over-improving houses. And, uh, you know, sometimes we make smaller margins on our flips. And a lot of people, when we tell them what we make on a flip, they're like, I would never touch that. But when we do volume like we do, I mean, to make a ten or $15,000 profit on the house, it's just it's just another house. It's part of the, the whole, you know, thing. And what we've right. really done recently is we've switched gears a little bit. I mean, we're definitely known as flippers, and that's what our core competency is. But we've really switched gears and started building a rental portfolio, and we've been growing that by leaps and bounds. But our rental portfolio, we don't buy fully finished houses. We buy dilapidated buildings that need tons of work. We put them all back together, so we got almost a brand-new building. We rent them out, and we refinance them, get rid of the hard money or private money. And that's that's been our model recently is – Going deeper into that, we call it, well, we didn't invent it, but the Burr model, buy, rehab, rent, yep. finance. We do a lot of that now, and uh, it's also what we teach a lot of at our academy. Absolutely, man. you got to create that passive income. Even though you're mainly a rehabber, it's still very important that you're you're building that rental portfolio. A couple of things that you've said you know, through the interview and also before when we were just kind of chatting You've kind of talked about failures and failing forward. I think that's so important for people. I, I don't want to talk about failure at all, but, you know, you, you just kind of use that phrase. And 
it's just very important for people to understand that in a high-level, short, 30-, 40-minute interview that we're going to have here, yeah, we're going to talk about being a professional snowboarder and the HGTV show and all these things, but really what you're hearing is that there were failures along the way, but it's how he reacted to those failures, and now you're starting to see the success from that. So just kind of something I wanted to throw in there because I think sometimes it – it can become daunting to someone who's not doing 200 flips in four years and maybe they're on like you know flip number two and it's failing and they feel like they're not going to be able to achieve that kind of volume because you know one of the early on flips is failing um it's about how you respond to it and setting up systems and learning from that and and don't give up on your dream so Anyways, moving forward, you said you're in charge of acquisitions. I, I'm curious because I, I consider myself also, I guess, pseudo in charge of acquisitions for my company, Titanium Investments. Where are you finding the majority of your properties? I'm assuming you're getting them off market. Is there a certain form of marketing that you prefer or that you're finding that is successful? Maybe a a tip for the other investors that are listening. Yeah, so what we did is, you know, through all these years of doing this, we've kind of developed what we call our 10 tips to finding lucrative off-market deals. And, and you know, you think that there's like this magic thing to finding these deals. And, and we, all, we don't even say finding, we say creating deals. And really it just comes down to relationship building. But I would say just to kind of directly get into the ones we're having the most success with today is we built strong relationships with some bank brokers brokers that work directly with the VA loans that work directly with Fannie and Freddie and what those brokers do. And although those deals still have to hit the MLS, those brokers will bring us these deals and we analyze the deal. And by the time it hits the market, we've already done our analysis. We're ready to go. So we get a lot of our deals from that channel, from the bank channel. But uh, the other thing that we've been doing real heavy lately and had just ungodly tremendous success is direct mail. And I know it sounds cliche, oh, who opens their mail? But it works, folks. It's just we don't just you know we don't do any. It, all the mail that we mail out is all handwritten. So the envelopes are handwritten. The letter is handwritten, and we we use crazy colored envelopes. We do three different letters every mailing campaign we do, and we usually mail to absentee owners and probate lists, and we mail three different times, all different messages. The first one might go in a pink envelope with a you know a yellow piece of paper, like a yellow letter. And many of you know of yellowletter.com or yellowlettershop.com. We mail that out, and then the next mailing is a different message and maybe a green envelope, you know, with a pink letter. And they open that up, and it's a more personal message because at that point, the first mailing went out. All the people that don't want to get the mailings have either told us don't mail this again or called and complained. So the next one is usually a little more direct and a little bit more personal. And the third mailing is kind of like, all right. You've been sitting on this. This is the third time I've mailed you. You know, get off the pot and make a decision here. If you want to make some money, you want us to make a cash offer, do it. So that's like one thing we've had tremendous success in recently. And we've gotten probably about 40% of all the houses we're buying is off our direct mail list. And then the other thing that we do a lot of in it's very simple. It's everybody and anybody can do it. And it doesn't cost you a thing is start telling people what you want. Tell your barber, tell your hairdresser, tell your attorney. This is what I want and this is what I'm willing to give you. I'll give you $500 for every deal you bring me that I close on. And it's, a, it's magical. If you keep telling people over and over like a broken record what it is you want and what's in it for them, it's, it's crazy. They just start bringing you deals. Estate brokers, hairdressers, barbers, attorneys, real 
realtors. I mean, you would think realtors would be the worst people to bring you deals, and we get more deals from realtors just because they don't want to go through the hassle of listing a deal and going through the problems with the peanut. They know they can bring us a deal before they ever bring it to the market. We're going to pay them. You know, we pay them 2.5%, just like if they were to bring it through their broker, and they're bringing us these deals before they ever hit the market. And it's just relationship building. So that's like a couple of the key things we've been doing that we're having tremendous success on. Yep. And I, I'll second direct mail. Um, I love direct mail. Majority of our deals that we get are through direct mail. But outside of that, yeah, I mean, there's so many different ways that you can just get deals that come to you, like you're talking about. Just uh, I, I call it speaking it into existence. I know if you're always talking about it, I mean, just it's amazing how things just happen. And uh, the more I get out there and the more I talk about it and I t- tell my team, you know, hey, you got to go out there and let people know what we're looking for. And you're absolutely right. Realtors are some of the best resources mm-hmm. that you can have. Um, I have uh, agents that specialize in different types of real estate that we specifically go out and target and try to build a relationship with. So, for example, a previous guest that we on it, had on the show was Nicole Espinoza. She specializes in short sales. Mm-hmm. And she's a great resource to have here in the DFW market for me because – Every time she gets a short sell that is a good investment property, she brings them to me. And so that's it's something to go out there and build relationships with different agents that are getting different leads themselves. It's not always up to you to do all the marketing. Sometimes other people out there can do the marketing for you. Absolutely correct. So, I mean, that's just that's so true. I mean, and you just got to sometimes you think you're saying it too much. You know, you, sometimes you just think, oh, my God, everybody's sick of hearing it. But you know what? Nobody's sick of making money last time I checked. And if right. they know that there's something in it for them, why aren't they going to do that? Why aren't they going to go out and be your marketing arm, be your workhorse, be the person on the ground going finding the deals? They are because that's their livelihood. And if you can consistently deliver and pay them on deals that they bring you, the worst thing I always tell people and tell our students is the worst thing you can ever do is tell people what you want. They bring you what you want and you find every reason in the book not to do it. So you just need to be better at telling them what specifically you don't want. So that the next time they bring you something, they're going to get it right and you're going to buy. But if you just keep saying, oh, I don't like this one for this reason, they're never going to bring you anything again because then all of a sudden you're just a lost cause and you're never going to pay them. So that's that's huge what you said. Absolutely. So let's talk about the show. I know we're kind of getting close on time here and I, I don't want to keep you too long, but the show comes out August 9th, 10 p.m. Central. I'm going to say Central Time because that's where I am and that's yep. where the majority of our listeners are going to be. So 10 p.m. Central. What can we expect from the show? I know you kind of said that you had the original idea with your buddies. You wanted, you know, flip or flop with Jackass. Is that what we're going to get from the show or did it evolve from there? So, yeah, Risky Builders. And and you can see the previews and you'll kind of get a a taste of this. You just go to HGTV and you just look, you know, search uh, Risky Builders. So it's not the ramps being built. Okay, they want to do a little more conservative approach, but. All I can tell you is the Blair effect is all about in the show. Remember I told you about that other pro snowboarder, Blair Russin? Yep. He's a local artist, and if you know, some people would say I'm crazy. He is absolutely certifiably crazy, and he's part of the show, but he brings a whole nother design element. He's an artist, one of the best artists you'll ever see. does tons of artwork for pro snowboarders, uh, friends with Sean White and all those guys, and he brings like a, a level where he sketches every bit of the house out on paper in like 10 minutes. He'll sketch the entire outside of what a house is going to look like, and then we bring it to life. We actually make that happen. But his his craziness and the, the show is, there's a lot of flip shows. So it's kind of like, you know, it's not just the husband and wife, you know, buying a house, flipping it. it. It's so different. All I can tell you is 
if you're not laughing your ass off by the second commercial, then you don't have a sense of humor because there's there's so many things that happen in the show that were totally un, unexpected. Snakes in the walls, that's a real thing. They were not planted. They were or there was a snake in the freaking wall that we took down and it I am death and I am absolutely terrified of snakes. So there's a whole <laughs> part that they captured on film where we're knocking a wall down to make a, a room bigger and like I would go down to reach down and grab a crowbar and there it is. It's just a snake just laughing at me and uh, the reaction. So there's stuff like that. My wife is is beautiful and she's just dynamic and her design skills. So all that stuff comes in to make this one very unique show. And that's all I can tell you. And if you want to kind of get a glimpse of it, like I said, go to HGTV.com, search Risky Builders, and you'll get a good feel of exactly what you're going to get out of the show. It's comical. And uh, the Blair effect brings a whole nother dynamic. Eventually, we'll get to the point where we can start building some ramps. But I think they wanted to go conservative until we actually kind of got the ratings we need, which is what we're right. definitely in need of right now. We need everybody to tune in across America and, and show support and make this thing reality. Awesome, man. Well, you came to the right place, the Titanium Vault. Well, it's secretly unknown that we're the most listened to podcast of all time. And so we're going to boost those ratings for you, okay? I appreciate it very much. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> but, but we will do everything you can. You'll have a strong following from the DFW Metroplex down here in uh, in Texas and uh, all the other markets that we're in. So it, I want to wrap this up by I always want to know what people's why is and and – for you, I'm going to make it even more difficult. I want to know what is your why behind, yeah, I mean, everybody wants to get into real estate and make money and, and create financial freedom and things like that. Mm -hmm. But why is it important for you to have the show? Why? That seems like something that mm -hmm. you wanted to go out and achieve, just like you wanted to be a professional snowboarder. Why did you want to have the show? Uh, when me and my wife first got into this, we watched Tark and Christina from Flipper Flop get on a stage. And I remember looking over at her and, and my wife and saying, if we're ever going to make it onto that stage, we have to have our own show. So that was our why as to why to do it. And then along came Flip Out Academy. And now our why would be, you know, if we get this show and everything goes well, it's going to put us in, in, you know, on national television, get that boost. And it's going to literally take everything we're doing, our entire business, our education platform. It's going to take it and change a lot of people's lives. It's not just about us. I mean, we, we preach this all the time that, you know, it doesn't matter how much money we make. I mean, the business is going to continue to do that, but it's all about all the people that we impact and how much we can change people's lives, not just our students, but like my mom, one of my immediate goals is to make sure that my mom never has to work and never has to slave cleaning houses anymore. And you know, that I can provide for her. That's like my, I know that's a small goal, but to me, that's, that's everything and making sure that my family and everybody can live a different life and you know be exposed to things and my staff and everybody that's been with us from day one that we can ba basically elevate them to a different platform in their life and a different part of their life that maybe they'd never see so for me it's more than just like us you know being successful and flip out being successful it's i love seeing success from people i love watching other people like do their first flip and like the joy when they sell it and the new family takes it over i I could go on for days about that stuff, but that's my why. I just, I love seeing people succeeding in something that literally can change their life. And I always say everybody's one flip away from a, a life-changing event, and that's the God's honest truth. That's awesome, man. So before we get off, because you've just reminded me and I haven't talked about it, let's talk about Flip Out Academy and what 
what kind of platform is that on and how can people find out more yeah. about it? So it's very easy. They can go to flipoutacademy.com and we have all sorts of programs. We even have a thing called Ask a Flipping Expert, which is a weekly live training and it's interactive. So the people that we're training can drive the content of what we're going to teach. I get my art skills behind it, but it's, it's a very inexpensive platform. It's 49 bucks a month. It's every single Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Get your beverage, get your popcorn and join us. Uh, the platform, we have an online platform. We have a direct one-to-one coaching platform. We have a mix of both. And, uh, you know, what we always love to say is, you know, we're definitely not an education company. We don't sell education. We sell results. And we do it through coaching. And it's a trade school. And that's how we do it. We apply knowledge in a systematic fashion to get students results. And we do it on a whole bunch of different platforms. We use the Lightspeed uh, Lightspeed online platform which has been phenomenal for us it's an adaptive learning online portal it's been great but you can check it all out on uh, flipoutacademy.com and really see kind of what we're about what we're doing and it's pretty wild yes sir well chris thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us today man and uh what a just a incredibly unique story and journey that you've had um can't wait to watch the show August 9th, 10 p.m. Central. There you go. I think I was a good host and plugged it as many times as you I did, man. did. You did. Thank you so very much, and thank you all for listening. And uh, this was uh, quite the honor. I really appreciate your time and letting me be on the show. All right, Chris. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Talk to you soon. Thanks so much for listening to the Titanium Vault with your host, R.J. Bates III. For more info and to stay up to date, visit www.podcast.thetitaniumvault.com and on facebook.com slash thetitaniumvault. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time on the Titanium Vault. Titanium Vault.